A few years ago, one of the kids in my online coaching program said to me, Coach Rebecca, I wish we could just go to a gym and have you as our coach. We would all be so happy and so confident. And that warmed my heart and I was like, oh my gosh, that would be the best. And that comment stuck with me for years. So now I'm going to do something about it. I am inviting gymnasts from all over the country to join me for the first ever Confident Gymnast Camp this August 3rd and 4th. This camp is all about breaking through mental blocks. So if you're struggling with a skill and you want me and my team to help you break through in real time, then check out confidentgymnast.com for details. Hi guys, on today's podcast, in celebration of my forthcoming book, Parenting Through Mental Blocks, How to Get Your Happy Athlete Back, we are turning the tables on this episode and I will be the one in the hot seat. I had the pleasure of hanging out with gymnastics coach Peterson Pierre and he asked me some really insightful questions. In this conversation, we talk about mental blocks, my sport background, parenting tips, coaching tips, all kinds of helpful stuff. So I hope you get a lot out of it. Here we go. Welcome to another episode of Heated Conversations. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. As you may know, we're in the new year and we're in a new season. And I'm super excited that you have joined this journey to go on with us to have these Heated Conversations. As you may remember from season one, Heated Conversations is about helping equip athletes to transform. So that's what it really stands for. And super excited to be able to do that. And one of the areas that we're going to focus on today is on mental health and how to be able to perform at a high level, especially in our sport and gymnastics. We'll also talk about things that parents can do to help their athletes, athletes can do to help themselves as well as coaches. And I'm super excited to have Rebecca Smith of Complete Performance Coaching and Perform Happy. Now, I'm super excited Hi, for Thanks for having me. <laughs> yes. And welcome to the podcast, Rebecca. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here and chat with you today. And so can you kind of talk about how important family really is to you? I mean, like we all, we all spring from families for better or for worse. We have our gifts and our challenges from our families. Um, they, I've heard people say that your family knows how to push your buttons better than anyone because they installed them. And so, you know, family is always a very, um, <laughs> there's just a lot to it. It's multifaceted. There's great things. There's frustrating things. Um, my little nuclear family, I'm so, so grateful for. I have two little girls, they're five and eight. And my my awesome husband, who I adore, who also, they all drive me completely insane from time to time. And I love them more than anyone in the whole wide world and would do anything for them. And I think, you know, anyone who, who doesn't get completely annoyed by their children at, at some point is has got to be lying because kids, you know, are a lot to, a lot to handle. And it's this big responsibility being a parent to go, okay, I don't want to do the mistakes of my parents, but I don't want to swing the pendulum so far that I'm failing them in another way. And there's just, it feels like there's a lot of responsibility, especially with my psychology background. Where I'm like, okay, I know, I know how this pans out, but then I'm also human. Yeah. Um, I have to have self-compassion. It's parenting is such a, a crazy and challenging and wonderful gig. Yeah. And also having like almost a full perspective of family. You had mentioned earlier that you had parents that were divorced. So you understand that dynamic. 
as well as you're married and you have kids and you understand that dynamic. Do you bring a lot of those experiences to what you do with Perform Happy as well as perform uh, complete performance coaching? Yeah. So there, there was a really big change I made in my business a couple of years ago when I started to see that there were kids who just weren't getting over their blocks. So in Perform Happy, we work we work um, with a lot of kids who are struggling with mental blocks and they come in and they go through our challenges and they attend our group trainings and some of them have one-on-one coaching sessions. And a lot of them would just go through, they would get their results. They would be so happy, you know, hooray, we have our back walkover on beam again. We have our back handspring series, you know, whatever it is. And some of the kids, and we would talk about in our team meeting and go, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. I've tried, I've thrown everything I've got at this kid and I don't know why they're still stuck. And a hundred percent of the time, one of two things was happening with these kids that stayed stuck. Either they were being emotionally abused by a coach and, and this can be very covert. And a lot of kids and families think that it's not abuse when really it is, um, shame, favoritism, um, you know, just a lot of sort of old school coaching behaviors that make my blood boil because I experienced that as a kid. Um, and then the other, if it's not that it's the parent and it's usually a very well-meaning parent. It's a parent who cares so much. And they're the parent who's asking questions in the car. And, you know, did you get your back handspring today? Oh, it's okay. You're going to get it tomorrow. Go, go get it, kiddo. You got this. And their, their, their emotions are wrapped up in their child's experience because they want their kid to be happy. They don't want that crying kid in the car when, when they're picking them up. And they're the one who goes, we don't have to do this anymore. If you don't want to do this, if you're not happy, we can quit. Meanwhile, the kid's like, I love my sport. I'm just feeling stuck. Stop looking at me. Stop talking about it. Stop telling me that basically what they what they hear from their parent is you're going to be disappointed if I don't go do this skill today and I know I can't do it. So here I am walking in to be a failure again mm-hmm. because I know my mom cares so much. So what I've done is in you know I my kids are now 5 and 8, but I've been teaching parents since my kids were were younger. So I was really relying on research theory, you know, parenting um, studies so that I could direct these parents and go, okay, well, here's what, here's what the research says would work to help your kids through this. Um, And I taught them techniques and communication, all things that I learned in grad school. Um, But now I am actually directly applying these things to my kids. So I feel like the the imposter syndrome that I might've been throwing out for a couple of years can really lift when I go, this is what happened to my kid today. You know, um, my kid forgot her backpack today and here's how we dealt with it. You know, your kid forgot their gym bag. Here's how we deal with it. Um, and it's really helped me to be a better practitioner because I can so empathize with the challenge of parenting and how deeply you care for your kids and how you would do anything to fix their problem. But then to be able to tell them, this is not your problem to fix. And here's what you do instead Um, I think it's making me a better parent and it's definitely making me better at what I'm doing to help these parents. And then once the parents and the coaches are, are, you know, we've left the abusive gym, mom has got no figured out her role. Oh my gosh. It's like the kids don't even need us once we fix that. They get enough sleep. That's another one. Um, and then everything we teach can just really like slot into place and they can go thrive. But yeah, the parenting piece is huge. And I'm grateful to have that experience now to be able to help people directly. 
And that's one area for me personally, as I'm kind of going through my own coaching journey that I'm finding out. I have a young, she's going to turn 18 months, not 18 months, 16 months on the 8th. And so as I'm starting to go on my own journey as a parent, I'm starting to discover that there's areas and things that I couldn't relate to just because I didn't have kids. And just like you were talking about having to have research or theories or just use what I sense and saw, but not really what what I experienced. And now having my own child, knowing that I'm going to be probably going through these things and really be able to respond. Because a lot of times as coaches, we want the parents not to be involved as much as possible in a certain degree, like not involved with the coaching or being overbearing being in the car and almost going through what we could consider an interrogation process Mm -hmm. and, you know, or the helicopter parent. And sometimes it's just, you're super passionate about your child and wanting to help them and wanting to work through these things, or either you went through certain experiences and don't want them to go through it, or you went through certain experiences and you went and you were on the better side of it. And you're just hoping for that to happen, or you're trying to expedite that process, or even it just didn't happen for you. So you don't understand. And the other area I wanted to ask, because I know parents and coaches are a big thing. How much does having a athlete that is either bullying or demeaning to an athlete in a gym play a factor in having these mental blocks stay stuck. Yeah. So what causes a mental block is a perceived threat. So when the brain perceives a threat or something that will cause pain or the unknown, it goes into survival mode, kind of into the fight or flight or freeze. And it just starts to kind of create this hesitation. And that threat can come from a thousand things when you're 12 years old. And I mean, it can come from, I'm going to let my mom down. That will be emotionally painful. I'm going to fall and hurt myself. That will be physically painful. If I do better than my mean teammate, they're going to haze me for it. That will be emotionally painful. So there are kids who, who feel like they have to, and this is not rational. It's not happening in their mind. They're not going, oh, I need to be not as good as this person so that they don't pick on me. But they'll go, like their their brain will sort of snap them into that it'll just be like, oh, and you're falling off the beam. Oh, can't do your skill. You're blocked. Because there's this deep fear that there will be pain if I'm better than this kid, my best friend even. I mean, even if it's a a friend that's positive, there can be this perceived threat. And then of course, if you don't feel emotionally safe in your training environment, whether it's your coach that's bullying you or your teammate that's bullying you or someone at school that's bullying you, a parent that's bullying you, And I mean, and the bully word can be a little strong, even somebody who's just doesn't feel safe, even though, you know, it might be like the the typical line crossing things. If a child does not feel emotionally safe, their brain is going to put up some protective guards and those protective guards go up against, you know, this, this potential risk. Then you, you associate, well, that, that back handspring series on beam I'm going to get yelled at if I don't go for it. But then the brain is like, this series is 
threatening. I'm afraid of it because of the emotional pain, but the brain can't identify the difference between emotional and physical pain. So coaches will be like, what's wrong? You're fine. You can do it. Your body can do it. And they're like, I know, but it won't work. And they're just freezing and freezing because their brain is like threat, 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 threat. And it doesn't know if it's a tiger in the gym or something's on fire or a volcano's erupting or there's a judge staring at them or there's a mean little girl at the chalk box looking at her. The brain does not know the difference and it just sends them into freeze mode until they can feel secure. And so, yeah, if there is a situation where they're feeling emotionally insecure, it can manifest in a physical way. Uh, but the good news is about mental blocks is that no matter what the threat is, the solution is always the same. And it's about building that reassurance and building confidence so that ideally you get to the place where you can stay in your little hula hoop and that nasty little girl at the chalk box doesn't have to affect you because there's always going to be some nasty little girl in your life. Unfortunately, you know, it's your boss or your mother-in-law or your roommate at college or whatever. Like once you build up, you know, confidence within yourself to speak up, to make changes, to control what you can control, then you can reduce that perceived threat and that allows you to start to thrive again. And how does one deal with the, I don't know, either as a parent or as a coach, because I think mm -hmm. from a coach's perspective, I don't know responses are probably the most frustrating because you yeah. want to be able to know exactly where they are feeling stuck or where they don't understand and how to appropriately, you know, respond to an, I don't know, rather than just saying, I don't know is appropriate. And I'm going to be truthfully honest. That's me. I am the coach who doesn't like the, I don't knows because I want to understand exactly. And most of the time when I challenge them to tell me more, they're going to tell me, but usually they're afraid of what a repercussion that they might perceive may happen. Yes. This is and such an important question because I think a lot of coaches are like, well, tell me what's going on so that I can help you. And you have to understand the structure of the brain a little bit to understand what's going on. So in the center of the brain, you have the amygdala and that's the fear response. And that is rooted in just straight up feeling. There's no thinking, there's no rationality. There's no, it's just like, I feel mad or I feel scared or I feel love or, you know, that's, it's, it's not rooted in like, I should not be loving this person or I should not be afraid of this or I shouldn't be so mad about this situation. There's no rationality in that part of the brain where you get the rationalities in the frontal lobes. And those frontal lobes are where you get your strategy. You figure, you start to think, okay, why, why is this happening? Let's talk about this. Let's figure out a solution. When the fear center in the brain is firing, the frontal lobes go offline the athlete's ability to rationalize and reason and think go out the window. When you're being chased by a tiger, you don't stop to think, well, what are the odds? Should I or shouldn't I? How fast should I run? You just like run, right? Because that's what you're meant to do. If you were to stop and think, you could be dead. So the brain is like, we're not thinking, we're just going, we're freezing, we're fighting, whatever it is that we need to do in this heightened state. So the legitimate true answer of why why can't you do this is I don't know because they can't actually access that part of their brain in those moments. So 
I actually encourage coaches to not ask that question because it's then the kids are going to tell you what they think you're looking for because they don't actually know. They'll go, I'm afraid of falling, but no, they're actually afraid of letting you down or they're afraid of failing and their dad's going to be mad at them. And then, you know, it's like, and, and they didn't eat enough today and they didn't get enough sleep and school's really stressful and they want to get into their dream school, but now they're feeling like it's slipping away and their ankle hurts. It's like, you know, asking them why is just sort of like, ah, I don't know. My frontal lobes are not operational. Plus a 12 year old's frontal lobes are not developed. So they don't actually have the ability to to look into a situation like that and understand all of those 1000 reasons why their confidence has dipped. So a better question in those moments is what can you do? So if they're up there freezing on the beam in their back handspring series, instead of going, why aren't you going? Ask what progression can you do right now? Successfully, confidently. And they might answer, I don't know. <laughs> Which you're like, okay. Right. Um, could you do it on the medium beam? Could you do it on a low beam? If we put a mat under, do you think you'd be able to go? What if we stuck the resi under? If I put my hand up, you know, and every coach has their own opinions on mats and spots and all that. So we don't have to get yeah. into that controversy today. But if you ask them, what can you do? They get out of this, I'm a failure. I can't do it into a, a solution mode. And they go, okay, I think if we put two eight inches under, I could probably go. Or if I pause in between on the first one or whatever, you start getting into that creative thinking, that's more tangible in that moment. It's something that they can do in this moment, not this theoretical whole story of why I can't go because I'm a bad person. Like they'll, they'll, you know, they don't know. So you find out the progression that they can do. They go get a win. They get the feeling back in their body. That's the quickest way to step them back up is to actually step back down for, you know, that progression that they need. Does that answer your question? No, I love that. And it's really something that is hard to even get to that place. And as a coach to have the emotional maturity to do that, because a lot of times we're just trying to get production done, right? Yes, you care about the person, you care about the athlete, but at, during those times of practice hours, you're there for production. And okay. one, you're thinking about the investment that your parents are making. If season is coming up, making sure that they're doing the right things. But sometimes it's also that they may have self-sabotaged themselves. And when I what I say by that is say they didn't do the prep work of properly conditioning. And so now they don't feel prepared to do certain skills. And you, as a coach, you allow them to say, I'm in season. It's like, I'm going to be a level four and I've cheated or I haven't done all my conditioning, conditioning properly. And so now I'm afraid of my cartwheel just because my handstand may be lacking. Cause when we do handstands, I don't point my feet. I don't stay tight. I'm loose, whatever it is. And now that becomes my thing. Right. But also being able to tell them, it's because of these reasons. How can a coach communicate those types of things that could create some of those fears or mental blocks and help these athletes understand that? Hey. 
Hey guys, quick announcement break. Right now, we at Complete Performance Coaching are looking for five athletes who are ready to break through their mental blocks for good. If that sounds like you or your child, then sign up for a free consultation call with one of my amazing coaches as soon as possible to see if you're a good fit for our Perform Happy Elite training program. This program includes one-on-one coaching with the world's top mental performance coaches, plus tons of support for athletes and their parents in between sessions. You can sign up today at completeperformancecoaching.com slash consult. Talk to you soon. Yeah. So in parenting, um, positive discipline, there's this concept of natural consequences. And what you're talking about is a natural consequence that if you aren't working as hard in conditioning, then you're not going to progress through the skills as quickly. And, and it's better for a level four to experience that natural consequence than a level 10, right? Or a, a brand new college student. I know you talk a lot about getting into college and one of um, one of the nuggets that I got from interviewing someone who specializes in you know mentoring kids into college, I said, well, what can parents do when their kids are twelve that will set them up to be successful in college? And she actually said, let them fail early and often, because when they don't get the cartwheel and they don't get to move up to the next level, they're going to learn something from that, you know. And the coach's job is to, from my perspective, and this is this is hard, is to keep the ego at bay and go, I told you, you know, you don't get to go, I told you to do this. And if you would have done this, you would have got what you said you wanted. And now here you are frustrated and you think it's my fault. Like, okay, that's all, yes, it's easy to get really emotional in those situations. But if you can kind of take your own, your own ego out of it and just look at it from the facts. The facts are, this is what the kid did. This is what the output is. This is where we are today. Can you love that kid in their weakness, in their lack of effort? You know, can you find the unconditional love for these children and go, I love you, kiddo. And we're back and we're going to stay with level three and that's okay. You know, and, and I think there's not enough, um, there's not enough coaches out there giving kids the ability to just be kids. Some kids are terrible at focus. Some kids have ADHD. That's not, um, that's not diagnosed. Some kids literally cannot feel their feet. They have no idea if their feet are pointed or not. And some kids, you tell them to do something, they have great spatial awareness and they're up there and they do it and they hit it. And you're like, yeah, that's that's the kind of kid I want to coach. But guess what? We got to coach all the kids, right? Every little kid who's got a passion, we are putting ourselves in that gym to give them an ability to become their best self. So you know, my best self as a tall, old gymnast, which I, you know, I thought I was, I was too tall and too old. My best self was never going to be good enough because that was the way I was coached. Uh, That's the way I was talked to. Oh, you should do um, volleyball or you should do ballet or you should do basketball, you know, because you're too tall. And they just would say these things to me like, oh gosh, you cannot point your feet. Can you, you know, or your legs, do your legs even get straight? It's like those little comments that we say to these kids that they go, oh, well, I'm not talented enough and that's why I'm failing or I'm just not good enough. So my challenge to coaches out there is to go, okay, if the kid's struggling with pointing their toes, can you be a better coach and show them a better way or, or teach to their dominant sense? They might not be audio learners. So everything you're talking to them about, they're not receiving it. Whereas if you come over and you go, okay, you tap on their thigh and you go squeeze here and then you point their foot and you go feel that. Okay, does that cramp a little in your foot? Can you feel that? And you put them in front of the the mirror and you go, 
Okay. See how that feeling looks like this, but now relax a little bit. See, that's what I'm seeing when I see you on the beam, you know, like do more work is sort of the challenge I give coaches do more work to, to meet the kids where they're at. And if they don't move up and they're sad, you love them, you know, because yeah, they didn't work as hard and they're in level three again, and you love them so much and that's their natural consequence. And there doesn't have to be any drama. You know, of course, parents are going to be dramatic and whatever, but if we can reduce our internal drama and our ego responses as coaches, then the kids are just where they're at. And maybe they're going to be a 15 year old level four, whatever. If that makes them happy. Awesome. Like, yes, girl, be tall, be old, be, be bent legged, like whatever, you know, like we're still going to love you. (laughs) Right. And the one thing, cause as you're talking and probably many other coaches who could probably relate to what I'm feeling. This is convicting because everything that you're saying, I either have done or may have currently am currently doing. And I just had practice yesterday and I could hear myself already doing a lot of these things you're saying to be able to help them with. Right. And so being honest with ourselves, but the other thing that I kind of find sometimes is when certain things become contagious, like two things, if one person works hard or a group of people work hard, then other people uh, work hard. But on the opposite spectrum, if one person isn't working hard or being negative, then someone else will. And even talking about the mental block aspect, to me, it's very hard. And I want you to kind of help me walk through this. It's very hard for me when a athlete is in the amongst their group and they start to declare out loud their fear and almost discussing it. And then I start to notice my other athletes adopting those fears and almost seeming contagious. And then it's one and then other, especially when someone doesn't have a reason and they've been doing great. And a lot of times I find it when it's a close peer. So if I, if Sally and Lucy are best friends and say they're doing series, Sally has been hitting her series, but Lucy is struggling. All of a sudden, I start to notice that Sally is struggling with her series just because Lucy is. Then all of a sudden, Lucy gets her series, but Sally's still behind because she adopted the fear that didn't belong to her just because she was probably close. So can you talk about, is it appropriate for athletes to, in that setting, to declare it out loud? And when you hear that as a coach, how to navigate that? Yeah. So, oh, this is so good. Um, it's a cultural, first of all, it's a cultural question, you know, the gym culture. And there are certain, certain gyms that don't have mental blocks. And the main reason for this is because they have stellar communication, stellar. The two-way communication between athlete and coach is so open that every single kid on that team knows if I'm feeling scared, I can go to my coach and tell them, and my coach is going to help me brainstorm. Okay. What progression should we go to? What, what, what can you do? Great. Why don't you go hit a few of those and then we'll work on the assignment, you know, and that it's not a big deal. That's the key is that these kids go, I'm not afraid of fear because I know that my coach will help me through it. There is no block because a block is just, it's a symptom of a fixed mindset. And so there's this, um, Dr. Dweck has all this research on a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. A fixed mindset goes, I have to do it now. I need it or else. If I don't do it, I'm not good. I need to be perfect. It's like the classic gymnast 
mentality, right? And, and the old school coach mentality. And so if you have that, oh no, why can't I go, this is bad, fixed mindset, then everyone on your team who's also operating within a fixed mindset, not good enough, not perfect, needs to be now, we have a meet this weekend, it has to happen. You're not praising the journey. You're not learning from the mistakes because you're afraid of them, which creates performance anxiety. So I would look at any gym that's got a lot of mental blocks, probably has a coach who's operating from a fixed mindset. So that's one thing I'll put out there. Um, then, so if you're going from a, a growth mindset, you embrace challenges. I, when my kids in Perform Happy are like, I had a setback. I'm like, yes, a setback. These are so valuable. Oh my gosh, we're going to get so much wisdom out of this. Like, oh, awesome. We caught the setback right away. We're going to brainstorm through. We're going to figure out what's your plan of action. You're going to learn. Oh, if I don't eat enough breakfast and my foot hurts and I don't communicate, I get stuck and then I get mad at myself and I don't want to back it up a step. And then I get stuck for two months versus going, coach, I'm nervous. Can I grab a mat? And the coach goes, yeah, that's fine. I believe that you know what you need. And coach, they put the mat in, they do the thing. There is no block. Yeah. You stop the domino effect from falling. You stop that first domino by saying, what do you need, kiddo? How can you feel safe? But also the kid knew that they could come to you immediately. Instead of feeling like, oh no, I have to do this because that fixed mindset takes over. So the best thing you can do as an organization is to develop the mindset of, we love failures. Yes, we require them. You will never learn where vertical is on a handstand until you kick too hard. You will never learn if you're in handstand on the bar until you cast over. That's important. You have to fail. So bring on the failures. It means you're trying. If you're not failing, you're in too easy of a level. You're not challenging yourself. So you look at those fears and go, okay, there's wisdom to be gained here. What do you think you can do? All right, let's go do a few of those and let's check it out. And let's think what, what was it that got this going? So I would look at more at the culture than at the, than at the kids. Um, and then, and if you can be encouraging the journey of every, I have interviewed a lot of Olympians, every single person I have ever talked to in my entire life, every gymnast has experienced a mental block at one point or another. It is just part of gymnastics. There is yeah. nothing wrong with you. Yeah. And the more quickly you can communicate and collaborate with your coach, and the more that the coach is going to be willing to be flexible to help you work through it, the quicker it's going to be gone and there's no block. Yeah. And we'll kind of talk about your journey, but I want to ask this. if Since pretty much everybody in some sort of area has gone through some block of their own, is it important and is it something that a coach should share their own journey to relate to their athletes to say when they're going through something, I understand you. And it's not something foreign to me because I have never gone through it, but I've gone through it. And these are the areas I've gone through it. And these are some of the steps that I made to encourage their athlete. Yes. I mean, this is something I tell parents all the time is if you've had experience going through a similar struggle that your kid's going through, you sharing your experience is way better than you giving them advice because it's about building trust. And when you're feeling emotionally unsafe or physically unsafe, you need to trust yourself. So when you can build trust with your coach, that sets the context for you to be able to also trust yourself. So of course, coaches, oh my gosh. Also, coach, if you have a day where you are in a 
bad mood and you just go off on everybody. I was the beam coach for 15 years. I have had those days where I was nobody's friend and nobody was pleasing me. Imagine if you went back to them the next day and were like, well, that was crazy. You guys, I'm sorry. Sorry. I just was like on one. I want to make it up to you. I'm not going to talk to you that way anymore. Like being vulnerable is so powerful for building trust versus being the person with their arms crossed, standing on that thing, yelling and yelling and like demanding the best and running from your ego. I mean, if you show up and are like, wow, I made a mistake. Like, I think I've, I have failed you guys. You're all falling on your turns. I, I need to plan better so that we have our turns more consistently. When, when parents and when coaches and when people in authority roles own their vulnerability, that again leads into that growth mindset because it allows kids to not have to be perfect. Like I'm not a robot. I make mistakes all the time. You're not a robot. Thank goodness. Wouldn't life be boring? You know, we all make mistakes and then we try to, we try to learn from them as quickly as possible and clean them up as we go. And that gives kids the freedom to, to, to embrace that growth mindset and be imperfect, which is so important to mental health. And I've talked to a few other people. Like I, just recently talked to Sarah Korngold and she talked about herself when she was a kid. She knew what type of athlete she was. She was the athlete that would probably frustrate a coach in regards to her effort. And she admitted it. And you could see her now being able to come. She's coaching high level athletes currently is one of the coaches of Shy Lise, who is in the runnings for the 2024 Olympics. And in that conversation she talked about a coach who just made gymnastics super fun he would make jokes like one of the jokes he she uh, mentioned that her coach would make is saying hey girls you guys ready we're gonna go to florida you know little things like that to kind of make it fun can you kind of talk about how can coaches do that especially with athletes who may know again this is something they just love to do but they really don't care about getting to a certain point but also the balance of having those athletes who are trying to get to a certain point and want to do it with excellence and care about every number that they do and have them intertwined, but yet not affect the culture in a negative way. Yeah. Yeah. I just talked to um, one of the girls who is aiming for Team Canada in the Olympics in 2024, Danelle, and she talked about how her coach, who's also Ellie Black's coach, is is fun and is nice and has always been kind and listens and is flexible. He's the kind of guy who would say, yes, go grab the sting mat if you need it. And he's got Ellie Black, who's a three-time Olympian as, you know, one of his students. And, you know, there, and um, I talked to Danusha Francis, who was a, an Olympian as well and a UCLA superstar. Her coaches were always playing games and having fun. She said, she was like, I feel kind of guilty to say this, but we were always having fun. And I think that there is this misconception that, well, you can have fun if it's recreational, but if you want to go to the Olympics, kiss the fun goodbye. Mm -hmm. You know, don't expect it to be fun. It's got to be hard work. And you know what? Happy athletes perform better. You know, I, you think about those iconic UCLA gymnasts who uh, were, you know, working with Miss Val and their viral floor routines. You look at those girls and they were having fun. And you look at, you know, those champion college cultures and those champion college teams, those girls are having fun. So it doesn't have to be one or the other. And I think it's going to, you know, come down to the coaches just investing a little bit more effort into 
okay. I mean, there were times where I was in a rut as a beam coach and I was like, we're doing the same thing again and you guys know what to do and we're going to do our complex and then we're going to do five of these and five of those. And I was like sitting on the palm of horse being bored to tears, watching everybody do this boring, hard work. Like how many more kids are going to break through fear if you say, all right, we're each going to hit one in a row of your scariest skill. And if we do we're playing games for the rest of practice. And then those kids get up and they hit the skill that they haven't done in a month because yeah. they're like, I want to, I want to get on the trampoline or I want to play games or, and then you play the games that are team building. You know, when I go into gyms, we play games. That's literally what I do in gyms is I, we play games where kids get to become aware of their, you know, their stuff basically. Like then one kid explained what, what does coach Rebecca do when she comes in? Well, she makes us really uncomfortable and then we have fun. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I get you out of your comfort zone through challenging you through these activities. And coaches, you can find this stuff on the internet. Like there are so many things out there, like team building exercises that you can use and you can turn them into gymnastics. Like just be a better coach, put in that extra effort to do some more research and 45 minutes a month, play a game that is that you know does team building that also does technique like you can do this that's one thing that i actually offer to coaches in my program is a whole set of lesson plans where they've got you know games and exercises and things that they can add in to make it more fun and also more productive on the mental the mental strength building side but you can find like you go on youtube like you can find activities to do with your kids that will bring that joy into it and just a little something different because we all need variety in our lives. Yeah. And when you're playing games, say you do the one that you had mentioned specifically, where you do a, say on balance beam, we're all going to do one of the skill that we're afraid of. How do you build on that? So then tomorrow when you're not playing the same game and having it be the same type of environment to have that, those athletes who have those fears be able to continue to work on it. Oh, so good, Peterson. So good. So this is another big misconception is that a lot of coaches think you should be able to pick up today where you left off yesterday. And there are so many variables in an adolescent's life that that is an unreasonable expectation. And it's apples to oranges. You know, it's like kids can go to the trampoline park and do a roundup by cancer and back tuck, but they've been blocked on it for six months in the gym. Or they go on vacation to grandma's house at the beach and they're like all of a sudden tumbling again. And it's the fun factor allows that threat to sort of recede. So you, and some coaches are more trustworthy so they can get a kid doing a skill that the other coach can't because the kid's a little tense around the other coach or they don't feel like they can communicate as well. So the first thing to do is to kind of drop that expectation that it's going to be that way. Kids go to camp. They get camp superpowers. They're being coached by Olympians. They are, nobody knows that they have a mental block. So they're sort of like, ooh, clean slate. What can I do? And they go and they have the amazing, the most amazing week of their life. They come back and they still can't do the dang skill in the gym. They go and they do it at a meet and they come back and they can't do it in the gym. It's normal. It's totally normal because there are two things that can override fear. One of them is desire. If you want it more than you want to be safe, which is a slippery slope and not mm -hmm. one that we wanted to rely on. If you want to do that skill more than you want to be safe, you will do it. So sometimes when you're at a meet, you're like, I'd rather go for it than be completely humiliated. The pain of humiliation would be worse than the pain of hurting myself, mm. which again is like, we don't want to be doing this as the, like the solution, but you can go to a camp or you can do it in a game because you want it. 
Um, and I think a lot of mental coaches will actually like give that as the strategy. Like you just got to want it more, do it for grandma, but that is not a lasting solution. Some kids will be like, I bet you five bucks. I'll go for my vault. Like they try to create that desire so that they'll go for things, but that always ends up in a backslide. The other way to over overrun the fear is through confidence. And that's built little by little over time, like little deposits in a piggy bank. And when you put in more deposits than you take out, you'll be able to do it. And so you have to consider, okay, they might not be able to do this in a different environment. So how can I build their confidence today? And that goes back to that question, well, what can you do? Great. How can we stretch your comfort zone as much as possible and let you still be successful? And then go do a bunch of those because then it's just all about numbers and building that confidence. And talking about confidence and also communication, say that an athlete goes to a, a camp or they go to another gym to train because they are out of town and they want to keep getting training in. Is it important for that coach who's their main coach to communicate to wherever they're going, hey, Sally has these fears or has these uh, mental blocks, or is it something where you allow the athlete to have a clean, clean slate? One of my coaching partners that I had named Craig Tatro would always talk about whenever you go somewhere, you have the opportunity to be whoever you want to be. You can go there and you can be Sally, the superwoman who doesn't fear anybody, or you can be what could be perceived as someone who's fearful and who's scared of everything. And you get to choose who you're, who you're going to be. So do you allow those athletes to go to those places and just make that decision to either be fearful there without other people being aware of it? Or do you communicate, say, Hey, Sally might be, you know, afraid of this just to make them aware or do you think that influences the next coach so then they're a little bit more hesitant with them and protective over those things, which may not allow them to really break free of that mental block? Yeah. So I would say if there's ever a safety concern, that would be something you definitely want to share. Like this kid is on the spectrum and they're not very good at identifying potential risks. And they're the kind of kid who will go for something they're not ready for. So, you know, look out which is definitely not the, the mental block kid because that kid's the most likely to stay on the low beam for the rest of their entire life until someone like elbows them in the ribs and says, go to the media and beam for goodness sake, it's time. Yeah, right. You know, but I'm all about empowering kids. Uh, parents, empower your kids to go to the coach. Parent, don't, don't email the coach. You know, let the kid go to the coach. Coaches, let the kid go to the coach. Let the kid take ownership. I mean, if you're doing a great job, like those stellar communication gyms where the kid goes, oop, feels off, they go right to their coach instead of trying to figure it out on their own. That that type of kid who has been raised in an environment of communication is going to be the one who's able to go to a new coach and say, you know, coach, I've been struggling with confidence on this a little bit, and I really want to be able to do what you're asking me to do, but I think I should start over here. That's what I want those kids to have the ability to do. You want your kids to be able to do that with you, right? That they go, coach, I really want to do this and I know I can, but I'm not quite confident enough yet. Would it be okay to start with this progression? 
I mean, if I could get every kid like with just that line to be able to say that to your coach and then the coach goes, well, we can't, we don't have time to set up those mats, but maybe we can try this. And they go, okay, I don't know if that would quite work. How about this? Like that there's just so much growth mindset, communication, creative thinking, solution mindedness, and like that you can come to a place where you're like, yeah, that's a great option. Go do, go do five. You know, and so I would, I would, as a coach, want to know that my kids can go into any gym and advocate for themselves and keep themselves safe and be who you want to be in that gym and ask for what you need. So it, it really comes back to, I think coaches have a responsibility to be stellar communicators, to impart that ability into those kids so that you don't get stuck and so that you can trust when this kid goes to a gym they're going to keep themselves safe. They're not going to be doing funky, weird technique stuff that they know I wouldn't like because they'll be like, oh, my coach teaches it this way. Would it be okay if I did it that way instead? Like what, how cool would that be to know that your kid is going to go and like have you on their shoulder and advocate for themselves? That's, that would be my dream for those kids. No, I love that. I love that answer. And how do you feel about the word um, potential? Because I feel like the word potential is one that can excite people, but it brings a lot of pressure because you either are communicating with a parent saying, hey, you know, these are the potentials that I see of your kid. And now they, whatever potentials you say, that's what they're holding you to is to get them to that point. But also for the athlete is encouraging them what potential they have in a positive way and finding that balance. And one thing I do sometimes with my athletes, especially when they're struggling, is I try to speak life into where I know they can based off of what they've already proven and showed me. Not necessarily, let's say a kid is working a front full and the way she does her front full shows me it has potential to have a Rudy, but then they start to struggle in their front full. And so what I do is I speak about the times that they did have it. And that's something that they're capable of. They're physically capable of. They can mentally get there because they've proven to. And what I've noticed and seen is that they can get to the next step. And so when they do, I can be like, remember, not almost like try not to make it an ego thing. Like, hey, I believe in you. Is that I had confidence in you this whole process, even though you were struggling, which is, again, it's natural, but I want you to know, hey, this isn't your limit. This isn't your ceiling and you have more to go. Can you kind of talk about how to balance the word potential, both with coach to athlete, but also with a coach to parent, parent to coach? Yes. So I think this is a dangerous word. I think you you nailed it. Like it definitely can create pressure. And most of the kids that come to me with mental block issues are kids who have been labeled talented or have a lot of potential. And what happens is that then it it installs this fixed mindset. And one of the hallmarks of a fixed mindset is that you believe that you are dealt a certain hand in life and that's all you get. So you are this much talented, you're this much intelligent, you're this much interesting, you're this much funny. You, you know, you, you're sort of like, this is you, kid. This is what you got out of the shoot don't screw it up basically. And, and so I think about one of the kids that I had the pleasure of coaching when I was coaching um, years ago and she, God bless her, 
she had the worst form, the worst form, like belly sticking out, booty sticking out, the weirdest hands, like girlfriend could not get her body into a pretty shape to save her life when she was in level three. We're like, oh my gosh, what, who put this kid on the team? I remember the coaches would be like, who put this, oh, her sister's on the team. Is that how she got on the team? And, but she, and she was always last finishing conditioning, always last. We're like, it's fine. Just, it's fine. You could be done. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. oh, but she was so sweet. And then this girl worked so hard everything like she her shoulders weren't flexible she was this kid did not have you know quote unquote potential but we loved her and she was a sweetie pie and her sisters both sisters were on the team we're like okay well she's on the team too and and she got up to level seven and like getting a back handspring was tricky and, and there was this other girl on the team at the same time as her who was crazy talented this girl flew her highest back handspring on the beam you've ever seen. It was like, why even put your hands down? Like, it's mm. so good. It's so beautiful. That kid with the talent hit a mental wall. She had never struggled in her life. It all came easily to her. That mental block killed her career and she quit. Mm. The other girl who had to work hard every day of her life became the, the heart and soul of the team. She was the one who was like, hey, anyone want to come in condition with me on Wednesdays? My sister's here and I kind of just want to do it. Next thing you know, the whole optional team is showing up optionally on Wednesdays to condition with this kid just for fun. That kid ends up competing for UCLA. I mean, so I hate the word potential. I hate talking about talent because it doesn't matter what your quote unquote potential is or whatever your body can do. It's the heart, the soul, the passion, the grit that's ultimately going to allow you to be the kid who just keeps trying. When you hit that wall, this girl had walls from the get, and that was what actually made her great. So I think anytime that parents or coaches are praising talent, you're actually installing that fixed mindset. And then when a kid hits a wall, they go, oh, my talent must have run out because my talent is something that comes from something out of my control versus this kid is like, it's all effort all the time, which I can control. So, I mean, yeah, you can look at it. Someone and be like, this kid's easy to coach. They've got great air sense, like physically capable. But if that grit and that heart isn't there, it's not going to mean much. So I would praise the effort and the progress. I would say this kid is a hard worker and that's why I want her on my team. This kid's got heart. That's why I want her. Even if her shoulders are tight and she can't do a split and like, that's the kid that I want on my team because she's not only going to build herself up, but she's going to bring others up as well. And when she hits a wall, she's going to climb it. I love how you just put that because I believe the same things where that word potential and talking about talent and these things are very dangerous because you're putting that within yourself to predict the future in regards to almost like a guarantee. And it's hard in this sport to ever get there because at any time, no matter what, I've seen kids walk into the gym and roll both ankles. And I've seen kids go into public school because that's what they wanted to do. And they left the sport. I've seen athletes go different ways. And so really talking about that, helping coaches really navigate that. Cause sometimes we, if we're going to be honest, in order for us to build our careers and who we are, we need these athletes, but sometimes we literally build it off their backs. Meaning like we put all of our potential again using that dangerous word to become who we are on there and so we make it very personal 
Hey, Sally, you're not doing this because I'm trying to become this or this type of coach. And if you don't do what you can do, I won't get there. And there's going to be issues because again, I have these goals and you are going to get me there and having these honest discussions, but even reflections within ourselves. Again, I think it's important to have competitiveness and to teach athletes how to do that and have that as a coach because it allows you to want to do it more. But at the same time, if you don't understand that there's going to be failures or it's not your journey, it's their journey. And your job is to walk alongside them and guide them with the knowledge that you know to get them there. Then you're going to do them a disservice at the end of the day. And one of the other disservices that I feel like happens is when coaches talk about fear of talking to parents or parents talking about fear of talking to coaches, and there's not that great relationship. A lot of times, you know, parents will come to the gym just because one, they might be commuting from far away, or this might be their thing where they can bond with their, their child. And so they come to practices and sometimes they do overstep and they're talking to Sally when Sally's on the floor with her coach. And now I'm looking at Sally, but Sally's looking through me because mom is right behind me and so on and so forth. How can you, how do you teach? And if you do teach um, parents and coaches how to communicate with each other, what are some healthy ways that they can do that? So there isn't that relationship where there seems like there's friction between the parent and the coach of an athlete. Yeah. So I, I love an open door policy where if a parent has a question, a coach is open to it. I mean, I think that just as a general rule is great that the parent can ask those questions. Um, I also would encourage, you know, any athlete that is 10 or older should be doing the communicating with the coach themselves, ideally, um, that the parent is empowering the child. You know, the parent's listening to the kid crying and crying and they won't spot me and they won't let me get him mad and I can't do it and he hates me and whatever. The thing that I would encourage that parent to do is say, well, let's, um, you know, what are the questions that you have for your coach? Let's role play and, and kind of teach the kid, okay, well, what would you ask? If you wanted a spot, um, what, what would you say? And if the kid's just like, stares blank and goes, I don't know, I can't do it. Like, okay, well, that's an option. Let's come up with some more options. Let's see what else we might be able to say. So parents definitely be role-playing with your kid, get your kid to ask those questions. Um, the only time that I actually like kind of send the parent into a meeting with the coach is if it seems like there's a really big disconnect or there's something that's happening. Like there's a kid being left on beam for an hour alone to try to work on the kid on the skill they're stuck on with no spots and no mats. Like that's not working. You know, that's when a parent, I, I say, you know, parent go in and say, Hey, tell me your, tell me your plan. I want to understand coach. Tell me your method. I want to understand kind of what you're working toward. What's your plan for helping little Susie get her confidence back. And then listen, I always am like, parents, you are not going into this coach meeting to point fingers and blame. That is not going to help anybody. You go in and you have curious questions like coach. I get you're the professional. I'm not a professional. What like, what's your, like, it looks like Susie's really struggling with this back walk over on the beam. What's your plan? What are you guys like? How do you typically work through this? So the parent can understand, put their mind at ease. Well, typically we do this, we go through this, we do that. And then usually the kid will get confident and the parent goes, 
okay, cool. So it sounds like like that should build confidence, but it looks like what I'm seeing is that it's actually decreasing confidence because she's getting left on the beam by herself. doesn't seem like it's a motivation issue. So like maybe we can brainstorm. You know, and that's the only time that I would have a parent go in necessarily and like talk to the coach and like, but just to ask curious questions. But then also you might be like, hey, my kid's on Excel. She really like thinks like she wants to go to the developmental program. She's really falling in love with this sport. You know, what should we keep in mind? I think those types of questions are so great for a parent to come to. But also I would rather Susie's like, you know, coach, I kind of am getting interested in the developmental program. I'm curious what you think I need to do to get there. Like how much more powerful is that coming from the kid than the coach? The coach is like, okay, well, Susie's mom really thinks she's going to the Olympics now, you know, versus the kid being like, coach, I kind of love gymnastics and I've been looking at those girls and I want to do what they're doing. What do I need to do? Then you're going to be like, right on kid. Let's okay. Let's work. Yeah. You know, so, but anyone who's like eight or nine, they aren't going to necessarily have that type of communication skill. So that's where parents can be involved, but I'd say coaches like open your door and say, you got questions, come to me. Cause we have, we are, we have nothing to hide. We right. want you to understand. We don't want you to be sitting there being pissed because you don't understand. Yeah. Like let's, let's understand each other. Yeah. And I believe that athletes need to be their biggest advocate and to teach athletes that they can be their biggest advocate and their voice matters. And can you talk about your personal journey? Cause I kind of said this in the beginning that, the mental blocks that you had and even what you had mentioned earlier kind of stayed with you through your young adult life, but also it took you out of the sport. Can you talk about even from the beginning of starting the sport and the times enjoying the sport and then when it started to turn and then leading you to this point where you said, I'm going to take my, my own experiences and learn how to help other people get out of an area that I have personal experience with and walk alongside them as they get either confidence back into themselves in their passion of whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I started gymnastics as a little itty bitty. My brother and I were both so hyper and couldn't listen. So my mom yanked us out of gymnastics um, until I was about eight. So I was, you know, geriatric to be going back into gymnastics. But of course, fun fact, so is Simone. She also started at eight. Um, but so I went in at age eight, was the tallest. I was the oldest. I was behind. Um, you skipped straight through and started competing level four. Super flexible. I was a hard worker. I was a great teammate. And I loved gymnastics. And I was in my head a lot. And a lot of kids like me are kind of too smart for their own good, too aware of everything that could possibly go wrong, too aware of every other person and what they're looking and what they're thinking. It's like just a busy, busy, busy little smart mind, super sensitive. And, and I got stuck in my head a lot. And so I always had my coach give me the magic one finger spot on my back lock over on beam. And there were times when I could do a round off back answering back tuck. And there were times when I just couldn't, and I didn't know why. And it was like, I could, and then I couldn't, and I could, and then I couldn't. And I would win beam. Beam was my event and I hated beam. It was either I won or I couldn't pull it together at all. And I always would look up at these girls in the optional levels and be like, well, I will never be that good because I'm too tall. I'm too old and I'm not talented enough. Straight up fixed mindset, hundred percent fixed mindset. And it was reinforced all the time by people being like, you're so tall or you to be a gymnast. I wasn't, I was literally five feet tall. I was not tall, but I was, you know, tall compared to my little ducklings in my little group. So I got up to level six. I was training level seven. I had choreographed my floor routine 
And I was so terrified of giants and back handsprings on the beam that I told my mom in like probably November or December of the competition season coming, um, oh, you know, I really want to have a social life. I think I'm done. And, and so I quit. And I never stopped loving the sport. I immediately at age 15 started coaching almost 40 hours a week. I was like every birthday party, every rec class, every private lesson, like put me in the gym and let me coach. I loved it because things came harder to me. It took like coaches out to break things down for me. So I became a pretty good coach because I was already used to like really breaking skills down loved coaching and then did that for 15 years throughout, which I climbed through the levels and coached up to level nine, ended up the beam coach, which is the great irony of life. Cause that was my least favorite event. <laughs> um, and I had these kids, like the one who quit, who I failed her. I will tell you, I failed that, that girl because I threatened, I did all the things my coaches did to me. And that's how coaches often coach. We coach the way we were coached because we yeah. don't know anything different. Right. So I was like, you like if you're not going to try get off my beam i looked at her and was like you're so capable i don't get it you must not care mm. which is such a misconception and it's so sad to look back or like do it or climb the rope or if I, if you don't go everyone has push-ups like yeah. i did all of the wrong things that just like hurts my core to think about today so i was the kid who struggled and i was the mean coach who did all the wrong things because it's not intuitive so then I went to grad school for sports psychology. I always knew since age 12, that's what I wanted to do. I, I met a sports psychologist at gymnastics camp and was like, boom, that's my, like, that is what I'm doing. That's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. So I, I get through grad school. I still didn't know how to get through mental blocks. Literally, I still did not know. I went to this meditation um, event for like young people where we sat silently and meditated for a week. It was the worst week of my entire life, like sitting with my head all week, <laughs> super transformative. But I met this guy, um, who specialized in, you know, helping with fear. I'm like, how do you get through this? And he's like, baby steps. I was like, no, 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 no. That's too simple. Mm -hmm. That can't be the answer. Like just baby steps. Right. And so I, I dug into the, the research and through that, and then through like the last nine years working with kids, I have been so passionate about like just helping that inner 14 year old yeah, to get over. And, and so, you know, basically it took me all the way up to age 23 to stop quitting things when they were hard. Wow. That's what I did my whole young adult life because it was like too hard. Can't do it. I quit too scary. Can't do it. I quit. I quit school. I quit a marriage. I quit a career. I quit gymnastics until I finally learned how to deal with my own fear, which is why I want these 12 year olds to learn yeah. how to deal with their fear at 12 so that they can continue on with their life without needing a, you know, like quarter life crisis in the mix. Yeah. No. I, and I think that's good to really talk about and know that you've really been there and been on every side. So you have a place of really, you could say credibility to talk from, because sometimes like myself, I could say, I could not have credibility because I wasn't a gymnast. I started coaching gymnastics after doing other sports. And so what gives me the credibility to know what I'm doing in gymnastics? You didn't grow up in it. You really, I didn't really follow it. Even when I started coaching, I really didn't follow the sport. And I just coach who was in front of me and then grew. And as the sport took me different places and brought me to college, brought me to clubs, took me to different states, I started to grow a bigger passion and love for it. But the thing that was consistent is there's people and I love people. I'm passionate about people. 
and seeing where your journey was able to take you from a place that could have taken you down a completely different route. And now being on the healing side of it, or even just being on the both the if we're talking in like medical terms, like being on the prehab and the rehab side of things, I think is really good. Because if we can learn how to not set ourselves up to create environments or cultures to have these things develop, but then if they do, because again, we never know because there's factors outside of what happens in our gym that can create some of these things at home, yeah. at school, um, you know, within their own self-image that we don't know to be able to know, okay, once they show up, well, what do we do with it? And can you kind of talk about all the things that you do with complete performance coaching as well as perform happy and what what it looks like? So if a coach, an athlete, a parent says, hey, I want Rebecca Smith and her staff to come and work with me, what are they going to get? Yes. So we've got, we've, because I've learned you have to hit all angles. You got to get the full triad handled. Um, we have resources for coaches. We have them for parents and we have them for kids. So the perform happy is my online mental training program. And that is where, you know, we've got like our standard level membership where kids come in, they join the group. They have access to three different group trainings every week where they're in with you know, a whole bunch of 12 year old level seven gymnasts who are afraid of going backwards on the beam. They all show up on zoom and they're like, wow, I fit right in. I feel at home. I'm not weird. I'm not broken here. And they have all these kids at different levels of breaking through. So there's just so much hope in these groups where the, you know, the kid comes in and they're like, I'm so scared of everything. And then the kid's like, oh my gosh, I was too. Like, here's what you can try. And I'll be like, Hey, anyone got an idea of a drill for this kid? Or yeah. what did you say to your, I mean, it's just the most amazing environment. Um, these kids are like, Oh my gosh, that's terrifying being on Zoom with random kids, but they get in and they just get folded right in. We also have what we call the challenges. So they're these little bite-sized five to 10 minute exercises on our mobile app. And that helps them rewire their brain going from building awareness to building that confident, that confident structure where they can then jump off and really start to trust themselves in their sport and in their life. And within that Perform Happy membership, it's a family membership. So parents, we strongly encourage every athlete in our program to get their parent doing their job too, which is going through our parenting course, which teaches them exactly what their role is, how to not be a source of pressure, what to really focus on, which spoiler alert is food, hugs, rides, tuition. So if you take nothing else, that's parents, that's your job. You don't have to do anything else. And then for the coaches, we have these monthly mental training lesson plans, plus they get access to the challenges, which they can run with their team. So they can do those little five minute exercises every day with their teams. Um, and, and then our elite level is they get access to everything else, but plus a one-on-one -on -one session every other week with my team, which is, you know, elite athletes and, um, PhDs. And like, I only hire coaches on my team who are better than me by a rule. So I have the most incredible, incredible staff of these brilliant women who were gymnasts who intimately understand mental blocks. So I'm like over the moon about this team I get to work with. Um, and then some teams want more than um, like some, it's more DIY where the coaches are sort of running everything. Some want to actually have one of my coaches in um, for facilitating some of these fun group trainings. And so we've got a, a set of six like actual Zoom 
moments where we do a coach training, a parent training, and four athlete trainings that can kind of like up level the team culture and mental toughness within the gym. So that's basically what we offer. And complete performance coaching is kind of like the umbrella, but really perform happy is what we, it's what we focus all of our energy on as a company. And if I'm a parent and I have an athlete who's a gymnast and I'm listening to this or I'm viewing this, but I have another child who's in a different sport, but is still dealing with these same things. Do you also take on athletes from different sports? Yes. So we, so let's say, you know, there are a lot of those who we have an athlete with a, you know, brother who's a soccer player. We, we will create as many logins within the app as you have kids. So let us know if you have twins or triplets or four kids or whatever, everyone gets their own login. We ask a question on the first challenge, which is our confidence jumpstart challenge. And it says, are you currently struggling with a mental block? Yes or no. If yes, do this challenge. If no, skip to the next one. And the next one's our mindset challenge where we go straight into building a growth mindset and so all of the other seven challenges are not specific to mental blocks. They, we start you with that first one, which kind of gets the, the ball rolling. And then every single athlete, even non-athletes, I actually prescribe that mindset challenge to a lot of parents because I'm like, oh, I'm sensing a little fixed mindset here. Why don't you go do the, the mindset challenge either with your kid or independently? Um, and you can work through there. So a lot of the time those kids you know, like a 17-year-old water polo player is probably not going to feel warm and cozy in a group full of bunch of 12-year-old gymnasts. So we'll have an athlete like that kind of, we'll pair them up with the right coach for them. Um, and then they'll do one-on-one -on -one sessions and kind of go through the challenges and on their app. So they won't, they won't have the same community feel, um, but we still definitely work with athletes of all different sports, even though of course my, you know, my passion is these 12-year-old gymnasts. Yeah. And as we kind of wrap up this episode, you had mentioned four nuggets for the parents. Do you have any other nuggets for any viewer, any listener that would be um, tuning into this specific episode that you want them to make sure that they leave with or understand as they continue to go on their journey? Yeah. So, I mean, something that comes to mind is if any parents out there are struggling with, you know, their kid's mental block. I have, a, ooh, I have a free training that I would love to give anybody access to. So you just go to completeperformancecoaching.com slash free. And that gives you access to the free parent training. That's all about how to guide your athlete through their mental block. So any parents who are struggling, check that out. It's hundred percent free. It'll give you tons of info on why it's happening and what you need to understand. Um, so it just sort of goes in a little bit more depth of what the parents can do. Um, and then just follow, follow on Instagram at complete underscore performance. I'm always um, interviewing people. Like I've got my podcast, I'm interviewing people on culture and elite athletes on, you know, you can have fun too. Um, so I'd love for, you know, just like get in there, just tons of free resources that I'm always pumping out to, you know, with this idea of building a better culture in sports. So many, many nuggets will fly your way if you follow us anywhere. And where can people follow you? I know you have a, um, a huge follow, following, but also you have a huge, like your Instagram, you're putting a lot of information and you're also, you mentioned your website and the free resource for parents. Where could they also find you? Can they find you on LinkedIn? Can they find you on TikTok for kids who may have TikTok? Can they find you on Facebook? Um, and then where can they find your podcast? What platforms are you on? Yes. Yeah, so the podcast is called Perform Happy, all one word with Rebecca Smith. So check that out. Um, Instagram is where you're going to get a lot of like the, all of our 
we are just like loving on Instagram. You probably get like three, four posts a day, just like lots of nuggets from the podcast. So you get like short form there. It's at complete underscore performance. We're on Facebook too. Um, lots of good stuff. We have a free Facebook group called the sport confidence accelerator. Don't contact me on LinkedIn. I never check. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I don't want to talk to business people. I want to talk to kids. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And then we do sprinkle some of our Instagram stuff over to TikTok, but Instagram is definitely the place to go for all of the best um, and the highest volume of good info. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Rebecca. I really appreciate our conversation and helping me. For me personally, I have to admit it was very convicting. And I'm glad that even you talked about you were in positions where I probably have been. And I would consider myself a more positive and trying to have that relationship with the athletes, but I still have a lot of room to grow because my natural human tendencies show up and I want the best out of them, but I don't always know exactly how to do that. Or I just get blinded by what's in front of me. Like we're having a competition this weekend. And if I feel like our athletes are not ready or they're not, you know, paying attention, then I get a little bit more short in my responses and stuff like that. And a little bit more direct where maybe I need to allow them to have a different mindset and even just teach them to have that gr growth mindset. So I appreciate you being on and talking with us and thank you for everyone again, for tuning in. I think this was a very important topic that we talked about and really hitting it from all sides hitting it from a coach's perspective, hitting it from a parent's perspective, and also from an athlete's perspective. And mental blocks are something that you can deal with not only in sports, you can deal with it in your workplace, you can deal with it in your own relationship. And again, like she said, it's the biggest thing with this is communication and setting up proper communication with those that you're surrounding yourself with. So I encourage you to do that. Check out Rebecca's social medias, as well as perform happy the podcast and check out complete performance coaching to get resources to be able to help you, your athlete and your program be the best and healthiest it possibly can. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the perform happy podcast. If you're ready to unlock your maximum sport potential, head over to performhappy.com and join us. You'll be training alongside world champion athletes and Olympic hopefuls. And I will personally take you through my research-based system for overcoming fear and mental blocks, building confidence, and finding your flow. I'm coach Rebecca Smith, and I'll see you next time.